like to welcome everyone who's here uh, with us tonight, as those, well as those who watch via the internet, uh, video, our campus in Stevens Point, all the different people that join us with our Bible studies on Wednesday nights. What we do on Wednesday nights is different than Sunday, a typical Sunday sermon where I take a subject and jump all over the place about that subject. But what we do is just follow, take a book of the Bible, we follow it verse by verse, verse by verse, going through the whole thing, keeping it in context, really learning what the Bible has to say. Dealing not just with the easy stuff, but even with the hard stuff, and even the stuff we have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. <clears throat> or at least I don't, and I'll tell you. If I don't know, I don't know, and I'll tell you I don't know. Um, so it is what it is. Um, it's, it's exciting stuff. Uh, we are in the book of Genesis, so going into the Old Testament here for this one book, and uh, most of it we'll do verse by verse, parts of it we'll skip over because it's very repetitive or lots of words I can't pronounce anyway, but uh, you have your Bible, you can read it yourselves. Uh, we left off at Genesis, the 11th chapter, uh, where we just read the story about the Tower of Babel, um, where uh, this is right after the flood. God had destroyed the earth because they had become so violent and so disgusting that God couldn't stand it anymore. And it said it just hurt the heart of God. So he kind of just wiped the slate slate clean and started over again with uh, Noah and his family. So the earth starts filling up again. And uh, and now the same thing starts to uh, repeat itself. And what God does now is he comes in and instead of letting them build this one powerful culture that obviously last time around totally corrupted itself he comes down and confuses them with different languages and stuff so they spread out all over the place uh one of the ways of of keeping from repeating what happened the last time happening again so okay now we'll pick it up at verse 10 this is the account of shem it says who is shem remember shem uh sons of noah we had japheth ham and shem well we just kind of read this thing in chapter 10 verse 21 And now we're reading it again in chapter 11, verse 10. Um, As I said uh, about the book of Genesis, a lot of Bible scholars believe that the book of Genesis is really kind of a collection of accounts of things that had happened, particularly in the early accounts. That's why you have some things that kind of repeat or kind of say things a little differently. Uh, And we see that in Genesis. So we just read about the deal of Shem, and now here's all of a sudden again. This is the account of Shem. Uh, repeating again another way of uh, possibly taking another account and, and putting it together here. This one goes a little bit further than the last one, and it's more significant here. We're not going to read the whole thing again, but uh, um, uh, what we want to do is jump to uh, verse 26. We're talking about Shem and who his sons were and their sons and sons. Da, da, da. Um, it says, uh, talking about one of the sons down the line is a guy named Terah who lived 70 years before. Uh, and he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now we're getting specific. Now this is what all of this is about. Uh, what he's trying, The whole book of Genesis is really about showing us... Genesis means beginnings. How did everything start? And he talks about you know, Adam and Eve and the whole deal and stuff like that. But what he's really trying to get to is where did the Jews come from? It's all about this family that starts with a guy named Abram. And uh, this is a significant start here. Why is this so important? Because um, showing the, the troubles that mankind had in the beginning with the fall. But God's promise of, of redemption and he's going to come through this family. This is who the Messiah is going to come through. Uh, eventually through the Jewish nation. And this is the father of it all. And uh, so we first see Abram's name mentioned here. A descendant of Shem, uh, which is also... Uh, referred to as uh, the Semites. That's why if you hear the term anti-Semite, it means, you know, if someone is against Jews, they call them anti-Semites. It actually refers all the way back to this line of Shem, um, which uh, what uh, Abram came from. So he mentions these uh, three guys, uh, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Then all of a sudden, this is the account of Terah, which we just read about. Again, some of this duplicating type things. Again, why so many guys believe that these were a collection of, of, of things that, the, that were put together to build the book of Genesis. Backs up a little bit again, talks about Terah, becomes the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. We just read that, yes, so it was repeating. And Haran became the father of Lot. So Lot is Abram's nephew. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans. So he kind of died early. 
uh, Abram and Nabor, the other two brothers, both married. The name of Abraham's or Abram's wife was Sarai, um, which we will find out a little bit later. This is actually um, uh, Abram's stepsister. You see, that's that's a little creepy. Yes, it is <laughs> by today's standards. But you have to remember, back then. The family collections were pretty tight. There weren't all that many people on the earth. So uh, these kind of things were actually forbidden later. But uh, um, this is what he did. He married his step uh, sister. Um, so how do you know that? Well, we'll see that in a little bit when they talk about it. Uh, then the name of Nahor's wife was Milka. She was the daughter of Haran. So he basically married his niece. Uh, also a little creepy uh, the, by, by today's standards. The father, both Milka and Iska, other ones that were born to this one. Uh, now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Well, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. This is where it all begins. This is, becomes the promised land. This is the land of Israel, the land of Canaan. And this is where they first get there. So they're heading out to go. That's their intention to get to Canaan. But when, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. So they didn't quite get there right away. Terah lived, 200, Terah lived uh, 205 years and then he died in Haran. Now you'll notice right away the, the lifespans are dropping dramatically. They had been living really incredibly long lives. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Then the flood comes. Something changes dramatically in the environment on earth. Um, their lifespans are shorter and, and they'll continue to sh- get shorter. Abram, who becomes Abraham, lives only 175 years. I believe his son only lives about 120 years and then it's back kind of t- to what it is even today. Um, uh, so the, the, the atmosphere on earth is dramatically changed after the flood. We talked about that. And you can, if you missed that, you can look on get some of the CDs and stuff and look at that to hear some of the theories on why that is. That's when people began to eat meat, all these different things. God told them to do that. Before that, all people were vegetarians. And then God, after the flood, said, now you need to start eating meat again, a sign of this dramatic change and shorter lifespans that we're seeing here. Although 205 is not bad. (laughs) I'd take that. I'm only 203. Um, So anyway, so here is Abram and, and God shows up. He sees something in this man, and he, and he knows this, this is the guy. This is the guy that I can deal with to bring about uh, my coming through this family, through this nation, uh, as, in, as Jesus Christ, as the Redeemer, the salvation of, for mankind. He sees something in this guy, and he, uh, and he comes to Abram, and he speaks to him, and he says, I want you to leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And he starts making promises to this guy. Uh, and really not based on any particular reason. All of a sudden he just shows up and makes these incredible promises to him. And uh, as best as we can tell, they're, uh, they're not contingent on anything. There's a lot of promises in the Bible that really are contingent on stuff. If you will do such and stuff, God says, I will do such and such for you. If you do this, I will bless you. If you do this, I'll help you. Da, 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 da. And then there's promises that just, I'm going to do this for you. So for whatever reason, he shows up to Abram and he says this, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Talk about God being on your side. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Again, a prophecy, an indication of the Messiah coming. That's how all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through Abram. Okay? So anyway, so Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Relatively young man. Uh, <laughs> actually, not. They're already noticing that they're much older. They, uh, they start talking about by the time he's, you know, in his 90s and 100s that he's, he's now being referred to as an old man. Uh, even though he still made it for another 75 years. Uh, again, showing how much life are shorting, shortening up. 
But he's 75 years when he takes off doing this. So he took, takes his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran uh, after being there for a while. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So he's basically in the promised land where where eventually the Israelites are going to be. But now there's this famine. So Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he says to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And now by the way, check it out. She is 65 years of age. She apparently is quite the babe. Because they're going into Egypt and he's going, holy stinking cow. When they take a look of you, they're going to kill me to get you. So he's afraid. Now, this is Abram, the father of faith. And he's worried about dying because his wife's a super babe. (laughs) What does that show? It shows that he wasn't quite there yet. See, God comes to Abram and starts making promises to him and treating him with great respect long before he ever earns it. You've heard me talk about this before. Challenging women in particular to believe in their sons, to believe in their husbands and treat him with respect. I'll treat him with respect when he earns it. No, 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 no. It's far too important for a man. The key to actually unlocking the potential in a man is to treat him with great respect before he earns it. So that's hard. Yep. Nobody said it was easy. But that's the key. You reminding a man what a loser he is will not unlock the potential in that man. Will keep a man in a state of despair, frustration, and failure. You want to transform that man? I want him to be what God wants him to be. Then you need to treat him in a way that he doesn't deserve. With great respect. God does this to a man who is at this point still a big fat stinking chicken. But it transforms him. And it turns him into a great man of faith. So anyway, he's freaking out. He says, look, Sarai, I know you're a super babe. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me. But let you live. So, say you are my sister. So that I will be treated well for your sake. And my life will be spared because of you. Well, you say he's lying. Yeah, kind of. He is. He's basically telling a kind of lie. Because technically, she is his sister. But he's really lying here. Okay? He's hiding the. You mean God? A man of faith? Abraham was a chicken and a liar? Yep. <laughs> but yet, God treats him with such incredible respect. He sees something in him. Transforms the boy. Anyway, when Abram came to Egypt, sure enough, the Egyptians saw what a super babe she was. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. Now, you have got to be seriously good looking. When you come in and the Pharaoh's representatives say, man, you got to tell the Pharaoh about this chick. And again, she's 65. (laughs) And the kicker is this. This is not the the only time this happens. It happens again. It happens again when she's 90. (laughs) Now, I don't know. Now, obviously, when you're living 150 years or so, this still might just be middle age, but holy stinking cow. I mean, they had some serious oil volet or something back then. I don't know what, (laughs) what that's about. (laughs) <laughs> but when you are stopping pharaohs and nations because you're such a super babe at 90, wow. Anyway, 
So they went and praised him to, to her to the Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace to be taken as the guy's wife. He said, Well, what happens? Does he actually take her as his wife? We don't know. Now we know in the second account, God appears to the, the ruler before he touches her and warns them, You touch her, you're a dead man. Is literally what he says. We'll see that when we get there. But we don't have any report of that here. We don't know if that happened. He said, well, maybe God kept her away from him for a while. I don't know. One could easily assume that's exactly what he did. And she didn't say jack squat because they were afraid. We do know this, that he was, Abram was there for a while. Because it says in the next verse that Pharaoh, thinking that it's his, her brother, treats Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquires sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys, men servants, maid servants and camels. I assume this wasn't over a weekend. But anyway, something's not right. Now the Lord comes along and he inflicts serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Now again, what Abram and Sarai are thinking at this point, I don't know. Interestingly enough, God really wasn't that severe with them about it, but went after Pharaoh. So these serious diseases come. And then it says in the next verse, so Pharaoh summons Abraham, what have you done to me? Now you got to really fill in the blanks here. Get, get the picture here. All of a sudden, all these incredible diseases come and everything is just falling apart into Pharaoh's life. And eventually he puts together something is not right. Something is not right. There's, we have offended God or a God in some way. And did some investigation and then found out that this was Abram's wife. And knew at that point that that's why God was severely disciplining his family. Now when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, man that's amazing. I mean we're not talking a man walking with God here. We're talking Pharaoh. Okay? Here's a guy, for all we know, doesn't know God at all. Or knows very little of anything. For all his, we know, his version of God is some statue somewhere and worshiping some giant chicken or whatever the deal is. But here's a guy who recognizes something's not right. Because I am under the judgment of God about what's happening here. Now granted, they were very superstitious people and all that stuff, but I get it, but... As I'm reading this, I'm thinking, you know, this man has more sense than a lot of believers that I know. Who are completely clueless to the fact that because of sin and rebellion in their life is why their life is going to hell in a handbasket and completely clueless as to why that would be. Are you hearing me? Sin has consequences. So much so that without believing in Jesus Christ, sin will take you to hell. Not because God hates people or wants them to go to hell. Indeed, he has done everything conceivable to make sure that people don't go to hell. But sin separates you from God. And even when you come to Christ and you believe in his name and you experience salvation and stuff, and you continue to sin, it separates you from God. God can't bless you. And I'm just struck by the number of people who just... Don't get it. I had a young couple come to me some years ago. And they are living in sin. Fornicating their brains out. (laughs) And I know it. And they know it. And they know that I know it. And they come to see me. And we sat down and I said, well, what seems to be the problem? He says, man... Pastor, you talk about faith and you talk about experiencing God and God's blessings in your life. I said, yeah. He says, well, man, that's not working for us. We're praying. God's not answering our prayers. We're sick all the time. He keeps losing his job. I mean, we're, we're barely surviving. Why is that? And I said, because you're fornicating your brains out. That's why. And they started laughing. They said, oh, we figured you'd say that. <laughs> but, but really, why? 
thing. And they honestly, I'm telling you, it was like talking to a brick wall. People don't get it. At least the Pharaoh, when things are going wrong, he says, man, I have got to be sinning somehow against God. And starts checking it out. Man, you want God to bless you. God doesn't hate you. He's not trying to hold out. But when you do things that are blatantly wrong, that he says to you, do not do, and you do it anyway, you think God's going to bless you? You are delusional. And your life's going to hell in a handbasket, and you just, just, why is that? Sin has consequences. I need to preach a whole sermon on this. Because this, you know, and I will come up in some weeks down the road, but it is stunning to me how people honestly, honestly do not get this. They don't get it. They don't understand how their life should be going bad in any way. And wonder why God isn't blessing them and they're doing everything conceivably they can to insult God and, 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 and offend God and wondering why God isn't blessing them. There's consequences to this stuff. And you want there to be consequences to this stuff. Honestly. You know, the Bible says that if, if you are really fighting God and, 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 and doing things against, God will discipline you. You will run into some serious butt kicking from God. It's true, and you want that. Paul wrote, in, or, well, we know it's Paul. Whoever wrote Hebrews wrote, he says, you, if God is not kicking your butt when you mess up, that's a bad sign. He says, that, 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 that means that you're really not part of God. You're not part of the family of God. The King James uses the word bastard. You are a bastard, he writes. Spiritually speaking, illegitimate. You know, sometimes you look at people and they just do whatever they want and it seems like nothing bothers them and they never really have any consequences and stuff like that. And people say, well, why? Trust me, you don't want to be like that. You want to be in the place that when you start messing up, you get your butt kicked. That's where I want to be. I don't want to live kind of like I just do whatever I want and just be fine. And You don't want to envy those kind of... When I see people like that who live just outside of God and they seem to just be fine, everything's going along and making money, and life's good to them. Ow, I don't ever want to be in that place. I want a God who loves me enough to jerk me around and jerk the slack out of me and get my attention. Somebody say amen. You say, well, that's, that's kind of painful. It is painful. And, and, that's, and, that's what, and that's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, man, nobody likes it. The good news is there's a God who loves you and cares about you. And here's another thing. Again, the Pharaoh just seems to have had more sense than, than a lot of believers. If you have struggles in your life, there are things of life that are normal, Okay? That's normal. Everybody has struggles. You have financial challenges. You have physical challenges. You have different things in life. I mean, that's, we've all dealt with that stuff. We understand that. doesn't mean God's disciplining you. But you get in a place where everything in your life is spiraling out of control. And something is not right and you don't catch that. That's sad. And I, I remember once being part of a ministry. You know, this is years ago. Where the ministry really had gotten so far away from what God wanted them to do and they were preaching stuff that was off the wall and stuff and I mean there were no blessings of God on this thing if anything it was one giant curse everything was going wrong everything was going wrong sickness disaster you know somebody backed over a little kid and killed him on it you know I mean stuff that you think why is stuff like this I mean it was just bizarre horrible things are happening and the entire time all they would ever say is just it's just the devil it's just the devil attacking us no, I know it is when the devil attacks you, but when everything in life is going to hell in a handbasket, it ain't just the devil attacking you. You need to wake up and smell the coffee. Something's not right. And you say, well, boy, if, how do you know? But if you're confused about times like that in your life, come see us. We'll pray with you. Trust God with you. Look at the Bible together with you. See where you're at in your life. Maybe there's some stuff that you need to straighten out. I mean, I don't know. You know, now again, lots of different things can happen. A lot of struggles we've all been through there. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about when literally nothing in you, I mean, it's bizarre. 
And what was happening in the house of Pharaoh was bizarre. This is one thing. I'm sure people always got sick. But when everybody gets sick and everything's going to hell and everything. What is going on? At least the Pharaoh, this heathen, had enough sense to say, Whoa, we have got to be sinning against God here. And he got the connection that sin offends God. And got the connection when it was coming like a wall like this, something's not right. So kudos to Mr. Pharaoh here. So when he checks around, he finds out what happens. So Pharaoh summoned Haber and said, what, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say, she's my sister? <laughs> so tonight you're going to be my wife. Look what you've done to me. He says, now that here is your wife, take her and get the heck out of here. My translation. <laughs> then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men. They sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So they got out of there. Again, not exactly the picture of faith <laughs> that you're expecting to see in Abram. So, anyway, so, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. This is a man who was being severely blessed. As God said he would bless him. Everything is going right for this guy. Uh, from the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel. To the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier. And where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot who was moving about with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together. For the possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. They'd become very, extremely wealthy at this point. And their started quarreling arose uh, between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine. For we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You choose, he says. Whatever, you know, let's... let's we're having all this tension and stuff. It's, it's too much. Um, let's kind of split up here. So Lot looked up and he saw that the whole plain of Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. Uh, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan set out toward the east. The implication here is Lot looked out and went, saw wherever it was the best, and that's where he picked and Abram was gracious. He said, fine. So uh, the two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Um, we will read more about that a little bit later. Uh, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, uh, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust then your offspring could be counted. Go walk the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he built an altar to the Lord. I love the way that God does this. He starts to get Abram to get a picture of the kind of blessings he's talking about. Blessing is, you know, what does that mean? A good day? I mean, I don't know. He says, no, no, no. He says... Your offspring are going to be so great, it's going to be like the dust of the earth. Everywhere you walk and you see dust flying in the air, all that is going to represent how many, how great your offspring is going to be. How, how many children uh, uh, are, are going to come as a result of your line. And, and just walking around the dust, wherever he went, he was constantly reminded of God's promise. At one point, God tells him, look up at the stars in the sky and look around. And he says, your offspring are going to be greater than the stars in the sky. Again, what happens? The promises of God start becoming real to Abram because everything before him starts reminding him of the promises of God. When he'd walk out and he'd see the stars and, and, and that elusive promise that seemed like it was never going to come starts becoming real to him and faith starts being birthed inside of him. Okay, anyway, so chapter 14 now. Um, you can read this first part. I don't want to read I can't even read all these names. But uh, it's, it's a story about a bunch of kings that are getting together to fight over a bunch of stuff. Anyway, so these kings all get together and they're fighting and they're killing each other and they're just having a jolly good time. Uh, well, then they, uh, one of the bunch of kings comes down and swoops through an area during this war. And in verse 12, is what I want you to see, it says, They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot 
and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. So here's the, the, the important part of the story. All of a sudden, Abram's nephew Lot gets caught up in this thing and now he's taken hostage. Well, one who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol and Amner and all who were filled with Abraham, allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household. So obviously these are young guys born in his household. He became extremely wealthy and it was always the custom of that day, even through feudal times back in the Middle Ages. Wealth basically meant you could have your own army and your own strength and your own, uh, you know, they became kind of their own little kingdoms, if you will. Uh, that's even though we're a lot of these kings, they just became so wealthy and stuff and financially strong and then they started having their armies and stuff well by this time abram had 318 guys who had been born uh among uh, all the people that worked with him and these guys they were trained um uh to go out and and fight so he, he takes these 318 guys and went in pursuit as far as dan during the night abram divided his men to attack them as he routed them pursuing them as far as hobah north of damascus he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot with his possessions, together with the women and all the other people. So Abram goes and he rescues his nephew. Now, how exactly he pulled this off, uh, we don't know. He only had 300 and some odd guys. Uh, and these kings that were listed here, these guys were all in battle and stuff. Obviously, I don't think it's likely he took on all these armies. He must have found where these guys were at whatever weakness they had and attacked them there and they scattered and, and he got everybody back. So after Abram returned from defeating whatever his name is, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. Uh, so here comes Abram, the king comes, he's you know happy, and then it says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. So he comes, this, this, this priest comes, and he blesses Abram, blesses God, and uh, then Abram, as a result, gave him a tenth of everything. This is the first time in the Bible we see the uh, idea of tithing. Uh, and this, uh, from the earliest of times, actually is in many, many cultures, not just Christian culture, but uh, Jewish culture, other cultures where they have this sense of you should give back to God ten, a tenth of what he's blessed you with. It starts way back here as Abram sees the sky and is blessed. Now, what's interesting about this is who is this guy? Who's Melchizedek? Priest of the Most High. I don't know if he had any priests. Oh, the Most High. This, you know, I know he's blessing Abram. Um, you know, but clearly God is in fellowship with some other people and stuff like that. But this guy Melchizedek is, uh, is, is an interesting thing. Uh, if you look, flip over to Hebrews. Um, Hebrews is a, uh, is a very complicated book. And I'm really not looking forward to going through this one with you. Because I'll have to really study hard and I still won't understand it. But uh, this is, uh, he, the reason it's Hebrews, it's written to Jews and they're going in and they're using, uh, talking about the, the uh, law of Moses and everything, trying to reason with them why Jesus is the Christ and stuff. And it's very thick, if you will. But uh, he starts writing to the, to the Hebrews in here and he starts talking to them about this Melchizedek guy. And uh, he talks about in chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, verse 1. That's where I want to pick it up. It says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Although at the time his name was just Abram. Uh, first, his name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. What's he talking about? Um, the priesthood, as far as the Jews understood it, came through the law of Moses. Aaron and the descendants of Aaron became priests and stuff like that. 
And of course, these guys were so in love with the law of Moses. And we've talked about this a hundred times. We'll always talk about it because it's a major part of the Bible that the new Christians struggled so much with this. They, they didn't know how they could give up on the law of Moses because they, had, they thought you had to believe in it and keep following all the restrictions of it. And in the New Testament, they kept trying to teach them, no, 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 no. The law of Moses was just to keep us in line until Jesus came. Because obviously they were a mess without the laws. You saw how violent and crazy and, and destructive they became. Uh, and uh, what he's writing in the book of Hebrews is, is this. He says, look, Jesus is like Melchizedek, not like the line of Aaron who came through the law of Moses. Melchizedek was before there was any law of Moses. And we don't know anything about this guy. He had no beginning, no end, no genealogy, no nothing. He's like the son of God. And even in, the, uh, in Psalms where it prophesies about Jesus coming, uh, to the, uh, the Messiah coming into the earth. It, uh, David writes, he says, you are uh, a priest like after the order of Melchizedek. You'll, you'll hear these phrases. It's all about this little couple of lines in the book of Genesis about this guy. They don't know anything about, they don't know where he came from, they don't really understand it, which is like Jesus, you know. I mean, how, many, how do you get your head around God? You know, that kind of thing. But that's the kind of priest that Jesus is, not through the... Um, uh, law of Moses but before all that so anyway those of you who are into deep Bible stuff that's where all that comes from all back right here all right flip back over there to Genesis and that's kind of the end of Melchizedek there but that's where we see the first time someone gives a tenth and he also by the way in Hebrews points out the fact that in the law of Moses they were obligated obligated to give a tenth but Abram was not obligated to give a tenth. Again, another indication that, because I know people will say, well, we, we live in the law of grace. We don't live under the law of Moses. We don't have to give a 10% anymore. Well, yeah, but the reality is that was happening way before the law of Moses. Say, so well, we're not obligated. Yeah, you're right. It's more like Abram. He wasn't obligated. We're not really obligated to do these things. We do these things out of love to God and following biblical patterns and principles. Okay? Jesus, our relationship with Jesus is kind of like Abraham with Melchizedek is what he's trying to point out in the New Testament. Okay, so anyway, the king of Sodom says to Abram, give me the people uh, and keep the goods for yourself. Apparently some of the people that he had freed uh, that were with the king of Sodom. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God, most high, creator of heaven and earth. I have taken an oath. I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me uh, to Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. So they get their share of the goods from the battle, but I'm not going to take a penny from you. I don't want you to ever be able to say, you made me rich. What was he wanted to say? Because he's getting richer and richer every day. He just wanted it to be known that I'm being blessed because of God in my life. All right? All right, cruising right along, chapter 15. Now, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But then Abram says, oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me? What kind of reward? We're talking about reward. Since I remain childless, you promised. Where's my child? I have no child. What are you going to give me? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram, Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will, become, will be my heir. Apparently the way it was worked out, if he didn't have any child, then Eliezer, one of his servants, would get everything he owned. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens, count the stars, if indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. Get out there. It's real. It's going to be real. It's going to be real. It's going to be real. Fabulous stuff. And then it says here in verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is the first time we see it this strongly, that faith is what brings us justification before God. The Bible says it is the just, the, the, the just shall live by faith. And in the New Testament, again, as they're trying to break this thinking of, gee, we need to follow the law of Moses, they're saying, no, 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 Abraham, there was no law of Moses when Abraham was around. 
The Bible says that he believed God and that's what gave him righteousness. We are justified by faith. It's by trusting in God. It's by looking at God's promises, what he said he would do, and looking at that and say, yes, I believe that. That's how we get saved. When you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and the promise that if you'll turn from your sins and believe on him and ask him into your life, he, he will come into your heart and fill you with the spirit, give you new life. You go, yes, I will believe that. And that's what saves you. Not by your own strength. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. But it's this idea of faith. Abram is the father of faith. And it's so key because it really sets the tone for so much of what's going to come after. Sadly, again, when the law of Moses comes and it becomes about religious rituals and stuff like that, people got so locked into that, uh, it was so hard for them to get free from that uh, when the gospel was being preached. But that's where the basis comes from. Faith is what makes us right. Um, so, uh, he says, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And uh, so Abram brought all these things, he cuts them into two, he arranges them, he's making an, a sacrifice, an offering to God, which is what they were doing back then. Um... Talks about cut them in half, the birds they didn't cut in half, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, uh, verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. That they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. What's going on here? This, here he comes, he's doing this thing. All of a sudden this darkness kind of falls on him. And God starts prophesying to him. And says, now he's been talking to him all this time about your blessings and great and how wonderful things are going to be. He says, but there's going to come a time where you guys are going to be enslaved for 400 years. And that's exactly what happens when they go into Egypt. And Egypt, the Egyptians make them slaves. And they were slaves for 400 years, just as God had prophesied to Abram. It wasn't until the 400 years was up. That Moses came along and said, let my people go. Hallelujah. He says, but I will punish the nation. They serve as slaves. And indeed he did. Uh, And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and will be buried at a good old age. In other words, you won't see any of this. You'll die long before any of this happens. Uh, In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet fulfilled reached its full measure. What's he talking about? The Amorites are the guys who are uh, there controlling the land of Canaan at the time. Okay? They're part of many of the many nations that were there. Um, they were a wicked people. And they were going to get wickeder and wickeder. And God knew all this. And he says, at some point, my judgment will smash them. And what he was basically saying is, uh, you're going to, you guys are going to be in captivity for these 400 years. You will come out by this time. My judgment's going to fall on these guys. I will be with you as you go in and bring judgment down on these guys. Now, a lot of times people will read the stories of, uh, you know, how the Israelites came into the promised land and God was with them to kill all these people. And at first glance, you go, ow, that's kind of mean. You know, all of a sudden people just, why would God send people in to kill? He was bringing judgment on these people. These people were wicked. Trust me, God knows wicked. And he's been dealing with wicked up to his eyeballs up to this point. And there were still nations. And when you read some of the history of some of these nations, they were into uh, uh, human sacrifices and all kinds of violent and destructive and vile things that these nations were into up to their eyeballs. And at some point, God says, that's enough. And he brings judgment. So it wasn't just God was sending them in just to kill a bunch of people so they could have the land. It was also part of bringing judgment on these people. Again, all of this way before it ever happens, God told them it was going to happen. God always knows what's going on. Anyway, so the sun had set and darkness uh, had fallen. A smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. He's seeing this vision and stuff. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants... Uh, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates and uh, the land of the Kenites, the Kesanites, the Kedmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, all kinds of ites, 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 and more ites, and a bunch of other ites. 
All right, you can read that yourself. Um, so now, check this out. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she says to Abram, You know, the, the Lord has kept me from having children, but why don't you have sex with my maidservant? And perhaps you can build a family through her. And Abram goes, uh, okay. <laughs> what do you think he's going to say, Sarai? <laughs> uh, no, I'd rather not, you know. So Abram agrees to what Sarai said. Now, you have to understand, the promise was, no, by your own body you will have this. Okay, so at some point he thinks, well, it's my body. I guess maybe it's not going to be Sarai. It'll be Hagar. Okay, so Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So Abraham had been living in Canaan for 10 years. Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, although I don't think there's a lot of sleeping going on. And she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, then she began to despise Sarai, her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. (laughs) Wait a minute. You said have sex with the lady. Yeah, well, that's not your fault. And men everywhere know what I'm talking about right now. Okay. (laughs) I put my servant in your arms and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram says, your servant is in your hands. You win. Do with her whatever you think best. And Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. And and, uh, we're kind of out of time. So we'll, we'll pick it up there and we'll see what happens with Hagar. Really basically what's really happening here, which is really significant for us is God makes this promise and and puts a dream inside of Abram and he's reminded of it every time he steps and dust flies he's reminded of it every time he looks up at the stars and he sees and and he's just he desires us and you have to understand you know it's one thing for us in this culture in this day to desire a son or a daughter. But in this culture, I'm telling you, it was everything to these people. It was huge. If a woman couldn't get pregnant, it was like the plague to her. It, they were devastated by this kind of stuff. And he wanted it so badly. And sometimes we get impatient. And instead of waiting and trusting on God, we kind of step in to try and help God out. Which is what happens here. They weren't really being wicked. They weren't being evil. They knew God had made this promise. They're on the verge of geezerhood at this point. You know, they can't really have children. I mean, this is going to be a miracle. How would this happen, you know? And uh, they're pushing 90, whatever. And, and, and she says, well, we'll take, take her. And, and maybe this is how God will do this for us. And of course, it brings nothing but heartache and pain as, as we talk, we'll talk about this. Um, but... Uh, you know, the challenge for us, obviously, is God's working in our lives and, 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 and helping us grow in faith, even as, as a church. You know, that's, as, as pastors, you know, we know the dream that God has put in our hearts and things that we want to do and accomplish for the Lord and the vision. And there's always that, that, that line sometimes. It's hard to see, you know, are we stepping out in faith, obeying God, or are we just trying to make something happen because we're impatient. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, that's always the challenge. So um, sometimes things don't happen as quickly as we all would like or think uh, in the church or in our, in our own lives. But better to just, just be sure that this is really God wanting us to take the next step and not just us getting in the flesh. Because when we get in our own flesh and we try to make things happen uh, in our own strength, we get ourselves in trouble. We see that in the story of, of Moses. God's clearly had put in the heart of Moses that he was going to deliver the people okay but he acts in his own natural strength he knows God wants him to do so he just starts acting and he winds up killing an Egyptian and he gets in trouble and now he's on the backside of the desert for 40 years 
he was like he was acting 40 years ahead of what he was supposed to but and he blew it but God wasn't done with him and then 40 years later he comes back now he's an old guy but he comes back and this incredible Moses you know with God doing incredible miracles sets the people free uh, and stuff like that so it's just one of these areas of faith that you grow in and, and you're learning to trust in God and and learning Lord help me to trust you and there's this fine line if you just sit and expect God to do everything you're in a bad place you need to act on the other hand you don't need to get ahead of God you say well that's kind of complicated how do you know welcome to the world of faith and and why we're all sitting here because we're part of something bigger than ourselves that's why the Bible says in the multitude of counselors there is wisdom and good reasons for you to set up appointments to come and talk with Lathan and others who are here to minister, to help you pray things through, help ask, answer questions. You don't feel bad if you have questions. It's a wonderful thing when you come to us with questions and you're struggling in life. We don't look at you saying, oh, what an idiot, they had a question. No, this is great. What you're acknowledging is, you know, I'm part of a bigger family here that needs to help me figure this stuff out. It's not always easy. And it's not always real clear. Paul said we look through a glass darkly. You know what I'm saying? You're looking through a glass darkly. And what is that? Is that a stick or a snake? I'm not quite sure, you know. And, and that's part of faith is not, not quite always having things as clear. If things aren't real clear to you all the time, that's where you're supposed to be. Okay? But together, working together, praying and encouraging one another, trusting God to make things clearer, and, and don't always try to do it all on your own strength. Uh, this is how there's safety uh, in, in, in a church environment where we're really there for each other. And uh, sometimes we make the right steps, and sometimes we make mistakes, and, you know, it's okay. God still loves you. Still loved Abraham, even though he made some goofy steps. Anyway, okay. Let's take our uh, evening offering and uh, we will let you all go. Praise God. Our musicians can come back. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who can't make it on Sundays. This is kind of their week service. This is kind of their Sunday because they can't make it on Sundays and that's perfectly fine. Uh, Some people who actually prefer this instead of Sundays. Uh, And then most of you come to both and that's wonderful. But it's a great opportunity for you now you to be able to give your tithes and offerings when you come now because you're not able to on Sundays. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessings in our lives. God, And we want to honor you. Not under compulsion. Not under compulsion like they had to under the law of Moses. Not forced to obey the, the priests that came through Aaron. But Lord Jesus, you're like a priest like Melchizedek. There's no obligation, but out of love, out of respect, out of thanksgiving, we joyfully give from our hearts into your kingdom. Bless this money. Use it for the building up of your kingdom. And God, bless your people as you blessed Abram, who gave in faith. And God, you just kept giving him more back than he could hold. So bless our people, I pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.